Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Coming up on today's show, Ford will test drive self-driving cars in D.C. That crosswalk button or that thermostat at work probably doesn't work. We're going to talk about placebo buttons. Idea of the week, drones as flying sheepdogs. And in profiles in IT, Ivan Edward Sutherland, the father of computer graphics. And it was a huge, huge mailbag. It was indeed. There's a letter in your mailbox. Ooh, right on time. Right on cue. The we way got an email be. from Dennis in Baltimore. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm trying to get a job in technology and I'm having trouble. They want experience. And I can't get experience without a job. This is a chicken and egg problem. What comes first, the experience or the job? I'm stuck in a rut. Help. Dennis. In Baltimore. Well, Dennis, this is a classic problem, but you, you have made the classic mistake. <laughs> no one said the experience had to be paid. That's right. You don't have to be paid for your experience. And in fact, whenever I hire an IT person or I've got an IT student, if they don't have a lab in their house where they're installing servers, playing around with computers, setting up stuff, I don't think they're serious IT people. So you need to get serious with some projects at home. Now, you can pick any project you're interested in. You could install a Linux, Linux operating system. If you've got a laptop you could, you, and, you don't, and you want to have two operating systems on it, you've got Windows, you could basically set up VMware, and then you can install the Linux machine as a virtual machine on your laptop. That's really good experience, and then you're actually doing something. Once you set up a Linux machine, you could, you could set up a firewall, and you could actually... Set up a proxy server, and you could make your own firewall that goes out to the internet using the um, using the, the the Linux server. You you could set up an Apache web server, um, once you which you install that on Linux, and then you could you could then set up the a PHP scripting language engine. You could install MySQL, which is a um, relational database. All this software is free. It's free. Set that up. You could set up your own web page. Uh, you could be data, database-driven website using PHP, talking to MySQL. You could basically get a, um, a domain name. You could set up your own website. You could set up, run it right out of your basement. <clears throat> All of these things are things that you could do. You could download Ethereum, which is one of the new, new blockchain platforms. It's got a scripting language on top of it. You could start making a little simple blockchain application. Actually, Anything that interests you, you just work on it. And if you don't have an interest in anything, I propose that you're in the wrong field. You should not go into IT. Yep. Mm -hmm. You pick your interest. Now, the other thing that you want to do, you want to act like a professional. So you join user groups. 
So like there's a Linux user group, there's a Mac user group, there's an Oracle user group, there's a MySQL, there are user groups everywhere. Join user groups. These user groups are populated with professionals in the field. Now what you want to do when you go to the meetings there is you want to volunteer, help with the meetings, just become an active participant in the use, act like a professional. And when you're working on your projects, talk to them about your projects. What I don't want you to do is go to the user groups and start trying to get a job. Nobody will talk to you. Talk about your projects. Communicate your interest in IT. Communicate how you're willing to try new things and learn new things and are always driving yourself, pushing the envelope. Those are the skill sets that people want. What you'll discover when you go to the user groups and start interacting with them and working on your projects, they'll help you with the projects. But then when a job comes open, they're going to remember you. They're going to say, hey, you know, remember that guy? And you'll end up getting jobs without ever asking for it. You want to read industry magazines. Uh, These are the industry rags that are projecting where everything is going because you want to have a sense of where the field is going, what's worth learning. It makes you an interesting person to talk to when you meet other IT professionals because these are the same magazines that they read. So the key is act like you are already an IT professional and you will get the job. Okay, we got an email from uh, Adela Kun. Aken Sola on Facebook. Good luck with that. Well, Nicely thank done. you. It's a Facebook message. Please educate me on how to protect my bank account against fraudsters using the Internet. Well, Adel Aken? Adel Aken? What, what do you think that is? Adel Aken? I think, I think you're probably as close I'm do, as you're going to get. I'm doing my best. Us. We're doing, yes. <clears throat> well, here's the thing. Um, one of the um, golds. One of the gold star hits for uh, people, hackers, is trying to get credentials to bank accounts. Because if they can get into an online bank account, they can, they can bleed your money out like that. So what you're going to want to do, first of all, is set up two-factor authentication. It's extremely important. So even if they have your password, your, your password, there's a code sent to either your email account or to your cell phone. And then you have to enter in that secondary code. It's normally six digits, and you can't be guessing at it. You've got to enter in that code, and then when you enter in the second factor, you're into the you're into the account. So even if they guess your password, even if they hack in and find your password, they'll still have to have the second factor. Then if you've got a um, if, to really protect yourself, if you have a um, <clears throat> If you have a, a, a GSM phone with a SIM card, you want to make certain that the phone company is not going to transfer your number to another phone. Some phone companies have been known to do that, and they've and people have been able to capture the second factor authentication when these when the number was transferred to another phone. So I would go to the phone company and say you do not want to have your number transferred unless you give them a code. You know that's that's very important because this SIM card hijacking has been used to steal accounts and get the second factor authentication. So if you've got, say, millions of dollars in your bank account, it may be worth somebody doing that, so you'd want to do that. So that would be the, the second thing I would do. And, of course, your core password, you make it, you make it a very long password. Now, the, the final thing that I would recommend, I never actually do any banking transactions from public Wi-Fi from, uh, <clears throat> from any public Wi-Fi um, connection. Because I've just assumed that people are going to sniff out my password. 
Uh, I just think it's going to happen. Now, most of the most of the bank logs on are HTTPS. That means they're they're encrypted. But you're you're really never sure. If I have to do banking when I'm overseas, I'll set up my VPN. I'll set up a VPN first before I log into my bank account, and then I'm then I'm okay. And then I've got the issue though is when I'm overseas. I can't get the second factor authentication because I may have a different cell phone number overseas. So that's a small problem. So my bank account is set up so that I can send the second factor authentication to my email address. Now, that means that my bank account is then as secure as my email account. So i got to make certain that I've got a secure password on my email account, and I don't want it to be the same password. So those are just a few tips to protect your bank account. You could also you also want to set up notifications if you can set up notifications on your bank account if there are any transactions above a certain amount you're immediately notified. Uh, you you could you could they have a number of protective notifications. I would turn on all those notifications. We got an email from Richard in Rockville. Hello, Richard and Jim. Richard and Jim. Thank you for <laughs> lots of Richards. Yeah, going that's on what here. I'm thinking. Thank you for a very <laughs> informative and enjoyable Saturday morning show on WFED. I do not have a cable TV, and I do all my TV viewing over the air using a simple rabbit ear hookup. Since I have an upper floor on a high rise with a window facing northeast, I get to get all the Baltimore stations clear as a bell. Best regards, Richard in Rockville. Well, Richard, you are one of the lucky guys who can get HDV TV, HDTV over the air because. This digital television is actually actually higher resolution than cable. When you get over the air HDTV, you're getting 1080, 1080 lines. When you when your typical table, uh, cable um, uh, picture is only 7 720. Yep. So you've got higher resolution with over the air television, which means more data. More data, yeah. And that means it's harder. Is and because it's digital, you either have the signal or you don't. That's right. Now what I do. Is uh, is I take my and I've got over the but I'm not such I've got I had to go up to my attic I had to set up a big antenna because my house is kind of in a hole and so it was a big project but once I got it then I took my antenna and I plug I pop it into Tableau which I really like and then Tableau can actually it's basically like a deep, first of all it it streams it over Wi-Fi so any TV in the house can 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 get the over the air television from that one antenna At the other also my cell phones can get the TV my my iPads can get the TV any device in the house can can, can get the over the air television not just the television but what I really like about it, I, I plug on a four gigabyte hard drive and, and it turns out to be a DVR and it will record up to four channels at the same time and so because when you start getting all of this over the air television you know there are a lot of sub channels there's just a lot of material out there you're probably mm-hmm. getting 20 channels yep. so so that the one problem with over the air television you can't dvr anything but with uh, with tableau you can very easily dvr but congratulations on your over the air television so not only are you in a low spot but you have a moat around your house too for safety don't that's you? that's right i mm-hmm. do and I've, I've got a big uh you know i've got to you know take care of my wi-fi so people don't you know hack into me i've got i've got real issues over there you know i i can hack everybody around me but i don't want anybody to hack of me. course not. that's you know that's uh, you know that would be bad that would be really bad we got an email from geosynchronous Hey, Doc and Jimbo. (laughs) Don't call me Jimbo ever. This is geosynchronous. I've been catching up. I don't care who you are. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Well, you know, when David Bird was here, you know, you know the one word he hated? What's that? Birdman. Oh, oh he yeah. hated that. You call him that, you, he'll throw you out of the room. Jimbo and Jimmy, and it's a trip to Knuckle Junction, I'm telling you. <laughs> I've been catching up on some old shows by working backwards on your most recent offerings. He's, he's been going to, to the website. I'm listening at 2x the speed. See, so we can listen to an hour show in 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, that is, that okay, is pretty clever. Okay, there's something wrong here. That is, no, that's actually pretty that's clever. clever, but I think my head would explode. You know, is he, is he saying that we're just too slow? Is that is that a, is that a backhand? Well, I think we should talk, let's start talking faster. <laughs> I don't think so. And so then he said, "I made it just back." Just think you could cram two hours of stuff into one hour if we just yeah. talk faster. He said, "I made it back to February 2018." But here's the rub: all the shows prior to that show up as unavailable via Apple Podcast. What? Yeah, can you check to see if, if that can be fixed? I need my favorite show. P.S. If I can't, if it can't be fixed, you might have an existing FTP endpoint for bulk downloading. Well, much love, much love, geosynchronous. If he hadn't called me Jimbo, I would have sent him this, the, the the podcast. But that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Now here's that's the okay. here's the thing, Geo. You can, <laughs> you can, you can get these things. See what you're you're going to the Apple Podcast, which is like a secondary website. You can go straight straight to the podcast feed, and it's got everything directly linked on it. That would be techtalk.stratford.edu slash RSS slash techtalkradio.xml. XML stands for uh-huh. Extensible Markup Language. That's actually the file that I write every Saturday when, I, when, I, when I'm posting Tech Talk. Now, it also turns out that all the shows are stored in exactly the same format. So you can actually put in the exact date of the show and just get it directly. And so it's uh, it's a very long thing here. You'll uh, you will actually if you go to the XML podcast, uh, you can just click on that and you'll see the date on the show. That'll be very easily done. And then you can just click in any date you want and you can download it directly. I'm having my IT department check out why the. Um, why the why the Apple Apple podcast only goes back so far? It may be that they've just set it up where, where they only go back so far because the, you know they they're going back say six months. Maybe maybe Apple just doesn't want to does doesn't want to have the podcast go back any further than that, even if the XML file does. So all of these links will be on the show outline, which will which will post uh, this weekend after the show. Good. Uh, we got an email from Richard in Rockville. Yeah, Hello. another Richard. Yeah. Is that? Is it the same letter? Oh yes, this, no, it's the same Richard. Is it, it's it's the same Richard, but it's a different letter. D- don't. <clears throat> it's a different letter. Yeah, a lot of talk shows only allow somebody to call once per show, but we're not like that here. We're not like that. Maybe no. I'll do Richard's. I'll do Richard's next next week, so that we don't have it. Uh, so that we won't have this two two Richards on the same I, show. Richard, I'm sorry, I got sorry. you into trouble. You got me. Yeah. So we're we're gonna we're just gonna flip Richard's Richard's second email to next week. Richard we, may be flipping us right now. We got an email from Lois in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm planning on giving up my old Windows 10 laptop to my nephew. But I'd like to remove all the personal data. Probably a good idea. All the personal data from the hard drive before giving it to him. How can I do that reliably? Love the podcast, Lois in Kansas. Well, it's kind of difficult to get rid of all the data. Windows stores so much information in so many places that it's nearly impossible to know where to delete it. Now, the safest approach is to is to go in and just wipe that hard drive clean. Just 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 basically reformat it and do a security wipe, and there's nothing left. Then you can reinstall Windows from scratch, and then you are certain that you've erased absolutely everything, including all your personal data. 
But then you have to reinstall all the applications. And I hope you've kept all the licenses. And you reinstall all the applications, and then you are good to go. Now, kind of a, another way to do it, which is not quite as uh, secure, you could actually, but it's easier, you could create a new Windows user. Go in there under user, create a new Windows user, give the new Windows user, user administrative privileges, then log out of your existing account, log into the newly created account, and then delete the old account completely. Now, that will delete all of the data which is stored in the old account in the proper location. But there could be some data that is stored within applications, say shared data that's outside of the Windows default locations. So then you've got to look at all the various applications and all the caches that are there relating to Microsoft Word, waiting to the browser, to make certain that there's nothing that you can see within those applications. You may have to look at several places, so it's a little more difficult, and you're never perfectly sure that you've got it all, but you've probably got most of it. Mm-hmm. We got an email from Brian in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I just bought a new HDTV, and I was looking at all of the options, and I'm trying to figure out what does this game mode on the monitor mean, and what does it do? Huh. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to figure out, should I, imp- should I do it or should I not do to it? Well, let's talk about the game mode. Modern displays, ha- uh, you know, have computers built into them. This means that unlike this, the old-style monitors that were just cathode ray tubes, they don't deliver the Im- image instantly. There's a delay between when the display receives the signal from the cable and when it's rendered on the screen. That's the amount of time that it takes all those electronics to process the image. They might, you know, they might scale the image. They might, they might, they might change. They might change the color pattern. They, you know, the the color palette. So they do various uh, image processing on it before they display it, and that takes time. Now the input lag is generally between five and ten milliseconds on most modern liquid crystal displays. Now, if your TV's audio is synced correctly, your brain doesn't even notice, you know, 5 or 10 milliseconds. But input of a huge lag can be a problem if you're playing a game. See, a hundredth of a second, which would be 10 milliseconds, is in a fast-paced game might be the difference between your punch landing on the opponent or not. So it could be death. It could be death. So so 10 milliseconds in a fast-paced game may not work. So when you enable game mode, it strips away the processing and it just so it doesn't do all that fancy processing to make the picture look better, it just shoots it to the screen. And so generally this means that you can go from 10 millisecond lag down to say 6 millisecond. If you get really a high-end TV, one that uh, you know, one that's made for gaming, you can get the the, the speed all the way down to 1 millisecond. So that's really, um, but uh, so that's primarily what you do. Now, some TVs that just want to look like they're higher tech than they are, they also have a game mode. But really, the game mode has nothing to do with input lag. It just changes to another color profile that the game might look better. So they're just trying to fake you out. You have to be careful. You've got you to be careful. The, You've uh, got to be specs. careful. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you immediately if it's an emergency, or we'll certainly get back to you at the next show, unless you send two emails, and then it might take more than one show. Then one will be embargoed. Yes. There you go. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. On the web at stratford.edu. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, Ivan Edward Sutherland is the man we're going to feature today. He is an American computer scientist and Internet pioneer and widely regarded as the father of computer graphics. Ivan was born May 16, 1938, in Hastings, Nebraska. In the eighth grade, he built a gantry crane with surplus motors that his father brought home from work. His favorite subject in school was geometry. His first computer processing experience was with a computer called Simon, which was a relay-based computer with six words of two-bit memory. And uh, he really enjoyed Simon. One of his father's friends had actually built this device and brought it over to them. It's 12 bits of memory permitted Simon to add up to 15. So, you know, it wasn't a big high-capacity computer. Now, he wrote a program that taught Simon how to divide. And this was a very complicated program. He had to add, he had to modify the hardware, add an additional stop, and uh, he had to use lookup tables. The actual program was uh, took it took eight pages to write on, and it was quite an accomplishment to get Simon to divide. But he did that in the so he was already interested in computers at quite an early age. For the twelfth grade science fair, he made a magnetic drum with 128 two-bit words on it. So. He was already working on computer hardware back then. After graduating from Scarsdale High School in 1955, he attended Carnegie Mellon University on a full scholarship, and that made it very affordable. He received a Bachelor of Science from Carnegie Mellon in 1959, a Master of Science from Caltech in 1960, and a Ph.D. in Electrical Engineering from MIT in 1963. While he was at MIT, he invented Sketchpad, This was a huge breakthrough. This was in 1962. Sketchbrad was a groundbreaking interactive computer-aided design system. Its innovations included hierarchical drawings, constraint satisfaction methods, 
when you're trying to solve a problem, and an interactive graphical user interface. It was way ahead of its day. After graduating from MIT in 1963, Sutherland accepted a U.S. Army commission uh, because he wanted, otherwise he'd have been drafted. And in 1964, while he was still in the Army, and at the young age of 26, he replaced J. Licklider, Licklider as head of the DARPA Information Processing Office. I'm telling you, that DARPA, of course, is the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. They do all of the high-tech research for the Department of Defense. And that Information Processing and Techniques Office, that office is the office that, the, that, that funded the original Internet. So they are a driver of innovation. And Licklider was, the, was one of the main driving forces behind the, uh, the Internet while he worked at IPTO. And it's amazing that Sutherland, at only age 26, while still a first lieutenant, replaced Licklider as head of the DARPA Information Processing Techniques Office. That's quite impressive. And from 1965 to 1968, Sutherland was an associate professor in electrical engineering at Harvard. In 1968, with the help of student Bob Spruill, he created the first virtual reality and augmented reality head-mounted display system back in 1968. Hmm. I mean, this guy was like 20 years ahead of his time in all these developments. Right. From 68 to 74, Sutherland was a professor of computer science at the University of Utah, and one of his students was Jim Clark, who founded Silicon Graphics. He was also a co-founder of Netscape, and he founded WebMD. He also had one of his students was Alan Kay, who was the creator of Smalltalk, and, and Allen won the 2003 Turing Award. And a, another student was Edwin Catmull, who was co-founder at Pixar. So the people who he mentored in school went on to do great things. Mm-hmm. In 1968, Sutherland co-founder Evans & Sutherland, which focused on real-time hardware, accelerated 3D graphics and printer languages. One of the former employees at his firm was John Warnock, and he founded Adobe. Wow. So you can see this guy, in addition to personally achieving a lot in sort of technical accomplishments, he taught many others Mm -hmm. who went on to do great things. Mm -hmm. He was a real force in the industry. Starting in the mid-70s, Sutherland was affiliated with the Rand Corporation, investigated making animated movies in the mid-70s. This was well ahead of his time, well before Pixar and all of that. From 74 to 78, he was at Caltech. And while he was there, he was the founding head of the computer science department. How do you like that? He started the computer science department at Caltech. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) And, And his first emphasis there at Caltech was to teach students how to make integrated circuits. And, of course... That was right in the middle of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So the integrated circuit technology that came out of Caltech is what fueled all of Silicon Valley. In 1980, he founded Sutherland, Spruill, and Associates uh, to do additional work. That was ultimately purchased by Sun Microsystems wow. in 1990 to form the core of their research division. Mm. So when they took his entire company in to make it Sun Microsystems Research, Sutherland became a fellow, a Sun fellow, and a VP at Sun. He was visiting scholar in computer science at UC Berkeley from 2005 to 2008, 
During his career, Sutherland has obtained more than 60 patents. This guy has an impressive yeah. uh, impressive uh, resume, and when I looked at the luminaries who were his students, I was even more impressed. And it all started back with that first... That first computer, where he uh, first computer processing that he did back there, what it called Simon, which was that relay-based computer, and he loved he loved to program that. He's eighty years old now. Yeah, he's still with us. I just checked while you're talking about him, and he's he's still working away. He mm. he never retired. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Edward Sutherland, the uh, father of computer graphics. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, fifteen hundred AM, one zero three five FM HD two, and one zero three nine FM HD two. On the web at Stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Good morning and thank you for tuning in this Saturday to Tech Talk Radio here on Federal News Radio and for playing the pop quiz. In Profiles in IT, we just finished talking about Ivan Edward Sutherland, an American computer scientist regarded as the father of computer graphics. While at MIT in 1962, he invented a groundbreaking computer-aided graphics design system. Today's question, tell me the name of that design system. If you are the first caller with the correct answer to today's question, you will be richly rewarded with two free tickets to fine dining at any of the Stratford dining rooms in the Washington area. But in order to win, you've got to call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're dreaming of free lunch in Canada, 
Call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. And of course, the international line, 877-936-39333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. I'd like to talk about something called placebo buttons. What? These are the illusion of control. Have you ever pressed? Yes, 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 yes. Have you ever walked up to a crosswalk and there's a button there and you press it and it's supposed to turn the light green so you can cross you can cross the street. Mm-hmm. Or have you ever pressed the closed door button on an elevator hoping that the elevator door would close faster than it should? Well, here's the little dirty little secret. Most of these buttons don't do anything. They're called placebo buttons. They're designed just to make you feel like you're in control. Now, buttons are mechanical. They, they push a button. They might make a sound, but they provide no functionality. It's like a placebo pill. But these buttons serve a purpose because they make people feel they're in control. For instance, in New York City, only 100 of the 1,000 crosswalks have buttons that actually function. When you think about this, it makes sense because the most of the traffic signal systems now, especially in urban areas, are computerized. And if somebody were to hit a crosswalk button in the middle of the computerized, you could throw the whole That's exact- works into chaos, you're, right? You're exactly right. These buttons were installed a long time ago before we had congestion in the city. Then once congestion came along, they, they computerized the, all of the, uh, the lighting sequences to maximize throughput, and you just couldn't have a random guy pushing the button. So what they did, they just disabled the buttons, uh, but, and they left them there, and people just feel like they're doing something. It makes mm-hmm. them feel good. Now, the thing on elevators, <laughs> you see, the time that an elevator door is open in the United States is determined by the ADA, Americans with Disability Act, and it has to be open long enough. I didn't know that. So someone can come in the door, come in the elevator with a wheelchair and not be, and not be cut off. Uh-huh. So they cannot let you press the button to close the door faster. It violates ADA. Wow. So in the United States, all buttons for closing the door in elevators, are disabled. That's crazy. And they're just there to make you feel better. Now, in Europe, they don't have ADA. Those buttons still work in Europe. But in the U.S., your closed buttons don't work. That's amazing. Now, there's another placebo button, thermostats in hotel rooms. Many of those actually have no function. (laughs) They just make you feel like you're controlling. You say, okay, that just feels a lot better. Especially if you're in a place where it's a centralized system. When you go to older hotels and they've retrofit with an individual room unit, Mm -hmm. it's probably a different situation. And also many offices have placebo thermostats. They don't want anyone screwing. They don't want any because it's all set up on a cycle. There's one over there. Why don't you I'm quite certain that's a a placebo thermostat right in there. I'm pretty sure that's set on meat lockers. That's right. So anyway, that's all you want to know about placebo buttons. I was actually surprised when I found out about that. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. On the web at stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Ford is going to start driving self-driving cars in D.C. next year. Ford announced October 22nd that it would begin testing its self-driving cars on the streets of Washington, D.C. early next year. They currently already have vehicles on the road gathering map data and will be operating those cars autonomously in the first quarter of 2019. A safety driver and a second engineer will remain in the vehicle at all times, Ford says. But the company plans to remove both of them when it feels confident enough with its technology. One of the big issues when uh, the district negotiated with Ford to allow self-driving cars on the street, then they were negotiating also with Waymo and Uber, was what they called equity. They wanted the cars to also drive in the poor or regions of, uh, in the lower income areas of Washington, D.C., because frequently those areas, it's hard to get a cab. And so they want, the ent- they want all eight districts in the in the uh, in the um, in Washington D.C. covered, so the equity was an important part of this decision. Now Ford has also secured a fleet terminal for its autonomous vehicles within the district, so whenever they need to go back and get gas or needed to download data, they'll go back to the fleet terminal. The facility will serve as home base for Ford's cars when they're not out in the streets and a place where they can transfer data and have their sensors cleaned. Washington will be the fourth city for Ford's autonomous vehicle testing. They're already testing. Ford's already testing in Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Miami. The automator said the autom- automaker said it expects to launch its commercial service of robot taxis and delivery vehicles at scale in 2021. That's pretty quick. Yeah, that certainly might clean up the taxi industry. That's right. And uh, Ford will also spend cash to train local residents for auto technician careers that would involve self-driving cars in the future. But first, Ford has to build a map of the city. This includes gathering data on Washington's complicated topography. They're working, Ford is working with Argo, a self-driving startup that Ford is backing with a billion-dollar investment. I went back and I looked at Ford's development. They, they actually set up a separate company, Ford Autonomous, because uh, GM has set up a, a spin-out company for its autonomous vehicles. 
Google set up a spin-out company, Wymo, and so Ford said, we want to get a spin-out company. And Ford said they were really focused on a way to make money. They said being the first one to the technology, being the first to have the technology is not necessarily as important. They said what's important is to be the first one to have the technology that is a real business that can mm-hmm. make money. So they're looking at vehicle utilization because, I mean, they're, you know, if we get the sea change going on, Cars will just become a resource that you order like a taxi cab. And now or Ford pizza. Is, or pizza. So Ford is already they've already uh, uh they've already partnered with Lyft. So they're looking at uh patterns, usage patterns of cars that Lyft has. So you see they cars uh, like Lyft are used during, you know, rush hour in the morning and at mm-hmm. evening, but then there are there are downtimes at, at night yeah. in the middle of the day. So they are then partnering with delivery companies because they said it's all about utilization. So they want the cars to carry passengers during the peak times and to deliver product like pizza or groceries or anything during the downtime. And so they could have 24-7 utilization. So uh, so I'm looking at this. I wanted to see what it looks like. It Uh looks like they're building it using the Fusion which is their hybrid. So it's a normal-looking sedan. Yeah. But it's also not supposed to have a steering wheel, gas brake pedals. They won't they won't have they won't have anything for and they're going they're going for purely autonomous. They're not doing for for driver assist. They said, you know, purely autonomous is the way to go. So if I don't know. It sounds it sounds a little bit if I was in a car, I don't know that I could just ride in a car. Yeah, the, you know the but what what the what the safety people are saying they say the the most dangerous component in the car is the driver is the human, and until the computer fails and we and we have thirty six thousand deaths a year in the United mm-hmm. States and most of those are due to driver error and so they're looking at uh, significantly altering the the death toll on the highways. Well, I I don't know. My personal feeling is that that's that's pie in the sky because the computers are going to fail. We've already had didn't we have an, an accident in Arizona where somebody was killed by an autonomous car that had an override person in it and that person was looking at their phone. Yeah, they that was there were there were so some they, ca- there, no there there were some cases. See, uh Tesla had some very uh, High, no, uh, very highly publicized cases. Tesla does not use a lidar, which is mm-hmm. laser radar. They use strictly sensors. They use passive sensors. And there was this one case where there was a white truck, a white semi truck that pulled across the road, and the sky was white, and it blended in. And because they, 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 the truck. because they didn't have radar, the sensors didn't pick it up. And so they and, and this guy well, was just playing on his phone. He didn't hit it. Think, and there there was another case where there was uh, you know somebody jumped jumped out in in front of it. That was an mm-hmm. Uber an Uber case. Yeah. So there uh, you know there are cases where there will be you know there have been some accidents, but Uber but Google is doing three. Three, something like three million miles, you know, a month or something, and they hardly have any accidents. I mean, they're, they're just they're just bracking up the the hours, and so the accident rate is extremely extremely low. I think th- I think this is going to happen. The other thing I think is going to happen: millennials, young people, don't want to own cars. Yeah, they're, they're happy yeah. with Uber. Mm-hmm. For as far as they're concerned, they're 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 in the in the sort of the on demand economy. You want something, you just use it, and then you're done with it. You don't really buy a car. I think the younger generation is going to be quite happy to have a low-cost uh, transportation option without buying a car. I think this is going to help people who are 
who are visually impaired. It's going to help older people that have lost their driver's licenses. And I think it's going to dramatically all and also going to mean that we don't need parking lots downtown. Because well, they, they just they just drop you off and they that go. That takes and, it to some time down the road. But here's the thing that concerns me is mm-hmm. that I would imagine if a certain political party was in power and this was something that they felt was mm-hmm. a, a good thing, that they would mandate that you had one of these. And then driver cars could then become illegal and that you wouldn't have the option to drive your own car. That, to me, is a problem. What could this do to insurance rates? Yeah. Could insurance companies then charge people who decide to drive their own cars a premium for wanting to do that? I, I actually think that human cars driven by humans will have substantially higher insurance costs. I think that's a problem. Because the, I, because the humans are, the, are, are dangerous. So... This is a and what's a, I think what will happen ultimately if you want to drive a car you go to a racetrack. Here's <laughs> here's my point, and I don't think and I think a lot of people don't understand. Everybody thinks it's automated, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. How many times does your car break down? All the components in your car break down. That computer is going to malfunction at some point, mm-hmm. and if you don't have the override system, you are in big trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's the way I look at it. But then again, what do I know? It it. I'm telling you, Jim, it's purely based on age. The younger people think it's great. The older people that have lived with cars want it to go on forever. I guess you're telling me I'm old. Exactly. All right. I I like owning a car, too, so I'm in that category. There you go. The (laughs) idea of the week. Yes. Drones as flying sheepdogs. Okay? Okay. A new algorithm would allow drones to reduce collisions between birds and aircraft. Collisions between planes and birds create all sorts of problems. They mostly strike the aircraft in the engine or the window of the cockpit. And when that happens, the pilot has to land to check for damage. In the U.K. alone, there were 1,800 confirmed bird strikes in Mm. 2016. Well, that was the... The miracle on the Hudson. That's, That's right. So, see, birds are a problem even in the air, Jim, as well as on the ground. <laughs> we are, it is invasion of the birds. That's yes. right. In North America, bird strikes cost airlines an estimated $500 million a year. Now, the scientists at the Imperial, Imperial College of London, together with researchers from Caltech and the Korean Advanced Study Institute of Science and Technology, have a better way. They have been mathematically modeling the way birds flock and the way bird flocks behave, and particularly how bird flocks behave when they're threatened on the edge. Now, based on this modeling, the team built a herding algorithm where that programs flight paths for a drone specifically laid out to drive birds away from a designated airspace. The algorithm was tested on flocks of loons and egrets, with the drone carrying out a series of maneuvers around the flock to push them away from the protected airspace. They found that the approach actually worked pretty well. Hmm. So now they're looking at successfully shepherding flocks of different sizes as they try to attack this problem. Now, the next step, they're going to look at how multiple drones can be used to shepherd larger flocks as well as multiple flocks at the same time. Now, you know what? This sounds to me like a good part-time job for you. I'm going to feed birds, and you take your drone and out I'll there, take, and you herd and birds. I'll ta- and, I'll herd, and I'll herd birds with that. So that mm-hmm. seems like a very good idea. It does. Now, the building an internet for space communication, this is kind of an interesting idea. Odyssey is a new company, and it has a mission of providing the first commercial space-based data relay system, and it claims its network will be fully operational by 2020. The FCC has already allocated crucial license for bandwidth earlier this month. The network will use two ground stations, one in San Francisco and one in Singapore, 
and they will be linked to three medium orbit, medium Earth orbit satellites, MEO satellites, instead of low Earth orbit, medium Earth orbit. They're kind of between the low Earth orbit and the geosynchronous. Mm -hmm. And these satellites will be launched in 2019. Now, at the present time, most commercial satellites sit in low Earth orbit and connect directly to a tower situated on the ground. And that connection only carries data for one client at a time. So every single satellite has to set up a separate data link. They have to secure separate bandwidth, and they're all competing for bandwidth, and they're all setting up separate their own separate connection. It's not very efficient. So Odyssey's plan is to position these three satellites further away from the Earth so that the low-Earth orbit satellites will communicate up to the Odyssey satellites, to a network on the Odyssey satellites, then these three satellites are networked together. That signal, that networked data, will then be transmitted to one of the ground stations that is run by Odyssey, either in, uh, in, in, either in San Francisco or Singapore, and then relayed on. Then that way, all of these thousands of satellites that are in low-Earth orbit can share one basically one ba- one packet switching link and that's the same thing we did on the internet you know we, in the old days everybody had a direct dial up connection say for a long distance call that's why long distance is so expensive and then they said well why don't we just run packet switch networks and share all the links and then we just run multiple people on the same link so that's what they're doing here this is a great application the development is priced at uh, 300 million and uh, it looks like this is going to be a very successful project. It's going to launch two satellites. First, they're going to two test satellites this year. One will leave on the SpaceX mission, and then uh, then there will be a second one that's that's going to go up, and it's going to be put on the uh, International Space Station. But the International Space Station will, will use that to make a ground link. It's a great program. Now, Silicon Valley's venture capitalists have been pouring billions into the electric scooter startups. We have companies like Bird. Lime and spin, and we're already getting backlash because these scooters are dockless. People just drop them wherever they want. There's bird droppings everywhere. There are bird droppings. I saw pictures of some of some city parks, and it looked like the invasion of the birds. Really, they were just the the whole lawn was just filled with these scooters, and they were saying it's like Alfred Hitchcock the, invasion. This of the wouldn't birds. have been Baltimore, or was it another city? It was another city, uh, which is interesting to know because in Baltimore they just wind up everywhere. But and didn't you see one in Baltimore that had the uh, the guts ripped out of it? Yeah, I, I saw one in Baltimore. We we just opened up our restaurant there in Baltimore, Little, Little Italy, and I was up there walking down the street and I saw one of these bird scooters, and somebody had ripped the integrated circuit out of the top, and all the <laughs> wires were just hanging loose. So that is. That is how Baltimore welcomes bird That's scooters. That's why we can't have nice things in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Now, Bird pulled out of Louisville, Kentucky a day after they launched because they put scooters in the city without asking the officials first, and the officials said, get them out of here. Now, Nashville issued a cease and desist letter when Bird users started abandoning their scooters all over the place. San Francisco was forced to issue permits to limit the number of scooters that companies could drop off. Now, bird scooters have already been dropped into 30 cities, including D.C. and Baltimore. There are a lot of bird scooters down around DuPont Circle, mm-hmm. down around the mall. They're, they're no, big th- with millennials. Yeah, they're, they're all over the place. Yeah, now, now this, is, this is how it works. You've got to download an app. So you go to your phone, your smartphone, and download the bird scooter app. And then you set up an account. And you just have to, all you have to do is put in your email to set up the account. It doesn't even have a password. And then 
And then you have to give it a method of payment. This is very important to Bird. It's, of course it is. But but they on my iPhone, they would take Apple Pay, so I didn't have to put in any credit oh. card. It was just easy. To, or they'll take other credit cards. Then once that app is set up, you find you walk around and find a free scooter. Yeah, and you can find them by looking at the map on your phone. Yeah, there's a map on the phone that tells you where to find them. So you walk up to the scooter, and then you click, I want to ride, and then the camera turns on. And then you focus the camera on the uh, on the little uh, on the um, on the little patterned uh, square there, right on the uh, on the QR it's a QR device. Yeah, reader, the right? sort of the QR uh, device. The, the right. The, what do they call it? The QR. I don't know what that code. The QR code. QR code. Okay. Yeah, you, you you basically take you just hold it on the QR code. It identifies the bird scooter, and then bingo. You can turn it on, and it costs you one dollar to ride the scooter plus fifteen cents per minute that you use. Now the scooters go up to fifteen miles an hour, and they'll travel fifteen miles on a single charge. Now one nice thing is, once you have made one ride on the scooter, they'll send you a free helmet. That's right. Yes, they will. I wonder what these helmets look like. I have no They're idea. Probably made out of paper mache. They are, yeah, because you're, you 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 spend a dollar plus fifteen cents a minute. I can't they, imagine they, it's something real good. You can order now. It doesn't help the nine one guy one guys find your brain once you've wrecked the, the bird. And scooter. then when you're done, you just you just drop you, you just drop it wherever you want. Um, That's and, part of the problem. They the, just the drop it wherever. Instead of instead of like they suggest that you put them beside a uh, a bike rack, but people just drop them anywhere. That's the problem, and they don't you know they really don't care about them. Now here is the interesting thing: they have to be charged because they only go 15 miles, and then they then they run out of charge. So if you go around at night. And catch a bird, bring it home, plug it in, feed the bird, and then release the bird in the morning. They pay you five dollars. So there's some people that are going out and catching, feeding, and releasing twenty birds catch a night. And release. Catch and release. Yeah, catch and release twenty birds a night. They make a hundred dollars a night. There are some apparently. Uh, the, the, the bounty varies. I think in, on some you can make up to twenty bucks for charging one of these things. And I don't know what the what the really? protocol is. Yeah, I've heard this. Maybe it's if they're in a in a far off place or they're completely Maybe. dead or something like that. Maybe they it, they might have something. I I don't know how that works exactly. I've not char I've not uh, caught, I'm, fed, and released any I'm birds. I'm thinking yet. about doing this but, uh, as part of research for this program. Well, see, I'm thinking that that some guy on the street could could find some bootleg, uh, you know, bootleg uh, plug plug it in, and he could just sit there and make and make five dollars a night just charging scooters. I wonder if <laughs> I guess they have to send you a charger, don't they? No, you just plug it in. It it takes a regular a regular plug goes into the into the the, the vehicle like yeah. an extension cord type yeah. thing. Yeah, huh. actually, Jim, I've I haven't done it, so I'm just at this point. I'm just I'm just you know what, Doc? I'm just treading on 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 zero knowledge. As your humble <laughs> assistant, I will sign up as a bird catcher. Why don't you? And do, I will do that, and I will report back as to how this works. Because I'm thinking that that if if you only had to go like ten miles to work, you, you, you could you could take a bird to work, take a bird home, and you know, and you'd be and you'd be spending maybe two bucks there, two bucks home. Charge that scooter at night, make five dollars, and your and your transportation and you is free. Right, exactly. And you, you don't have to buy a scooter. Uh huh. Well, I I know this that once the battery goes out on it. Uh, you can actually unlock it and use it as a regular scooter and power it by foot, so it's not completely dead in the oh. water, so to speak. And the other thing is, if you're a charger, you can theoretically you could do this. It would cost you less less than nothing because you get paid. You can unlock the thing mm-hmm. and use it on power to get it wherever you're going to take it to charge it up. Yeah. So theoretically, you could do that. 
Yeah, you, you, you could drive it to work, charge it at work. Then drive it home and charge it at home. Yeah. Maybe make $10 a day. And it's, basically, it's your own personal <laughs> bird. Yeah. <laughs> you flip everybody the bird. There you go. There we go. Um, that's, that's, that's interesting. You know, one of the problems with these things, if you've ever seen them in operation, 15 miles an hour on a scooter looks really fast. Yeah. So they, they do truck along. And one of the problems that I've had in, in Baltimore City is that these things are on the promenade around the Inner Harbor. And it's a congested area. They're, so, they're everywhere. See, I mean, in, in uh, China, these dockless bikes didn't mm-hmm. work out very well, you know, because they were basically so, – so I don't know whether these dockless systems are really well, going to work. and I'm curious about the dockless bikes here in D.C. In Baltimore, they, 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 we don't have dockless bikes yet. The, do, mm-hmm. the bikes in a dock – <laughs> have been destroyed. Oh, <laughs> they, 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 people take them, they wreck them, they leave them anywhere. But, but anyway, in Baltimore, in DC, people seem to be much more well behaved and compliant with the system with the, nice. the dockless bike. I mean, they leave them someplace where they're out of traffic and they look like they try to take care of them. But yeah, I, you know what? I will, I will, I will work you on it. You research this. and report back. <laughs> Let's talk about the joke of the week. This is Space Probe Juno's name. Now, the space probe that's now orbiting Jupiter has the name that's familiar to all, Juno. Now, here's the myth. Jupiter, or if you're a Greek, you would be called Zeus. Uh-huh. So if you are uh, Roman, you're, uh, you're, uh, Jupiter is the king of all gods. Mm-hmm. And his wife was Juno, or if you are Greek, the wife would be Hera. But their marriage was troubled. I have a funny feeling, I think... Mostly yeah, I... because of Jupiter's rampant infidelity. Mm-hmm. When the Renaissance astronomer named Simon, by the name of Simon Marius, claimed that he had discovered the planet Jupiter, that the planet Jupiter had four large moons... Now, they've since found more, but he saw initially four large moons. He decided the name after the god's most famous lovers, Eo, Europa, Granamede, and Callisto. And so these were named after the four most popular lovers of Jupiter. Now, when NASA named their solar-powered spacecraft, they named it after Jupiter's jealous wife, Juno. (laughs) So this is the grand joke. So now Juno is like circling through the clouds, trying to deep down in the atmosphere to see exactly what kind of activity is going on at Jupiter. That's pretty funny. (laughs) So Juno is trying to catch Jupiter... In the act. (laughs) And so there you go. The joke of the week. NASA's space probe name, Juno. I'm telling you, that story about Juno. I had no idea. I had no idea. I learned all kinds of stuff today. I had no idea that NASA would be so uh, clever. Uh huh. It just was unexpected. Well, you can expect that we will be back next week and with more Tech Talk Radio here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. See you next week. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.